You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Well, as you heard me say at the top of the hour, my very special guest today is Pastor David Craig. Uh, David has had a, a many, many years uh, in the ministry and gone through many phases. <laughs> I no doubt encountered many challenges, David. Um, it must seem a little bit strange for you. Here you are. You know, I'm in Eamon Andrews on this programme. <laughs> <laughs> and you're on the spot. Uh, but but how did the journey for you all begin? How did you come to faith in the first place? Well, I was privileged. I didn't always think that at the time. But I was privileged to grow up in a home where my both my parents loved the Lord Jesus. And uh, so looking back, that clearly was a very, very important thing and uh, a great gift from God for me. And uh, they were very hospitable people. And we often had people staying in the home uh, and uh, one time when I was about six, um, they had a children's evangelist, a guy called George I. Stewart, who used to wander around Scotland holding missions, meetings for kids. And he was having a mission at our church for a week and he stayed with us. And uh, one morning he led me to Jesus, just in, as it had to be at six years of age, a very simple way, but a way I could understand when he explained to me what it would really mean to trust in Jesus uh, and this might sound a bit strange, but he 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 said to me, look, this chair, and he, he got up from the chair and walked away and then came back. And he said, look, I, I don't test it to see whether it's going to hold me up. I just commit myself to it, throw my weight on it, as it were. And he said, trusting Jesus means putting all your weight on Jesus, leaning all of you on him. And that helped me to understand as a wee boy what trust meant. And uh, so that was that was the beginning. But of course, at six years of age, there are many times after that when you, in a sense, need to understand more and make new commitments to Christ. And that happened for me at different points along the way after that. And, and how were those early years? I mean, did, did you hit the inevitable bumps in the road or was it relatively smooth for you? It was relatively smooth for me, I would say, till I was in my middle teens. Um, and something happened in my middle teens, which I think was quite significant because... Um, Way back in, in about that same time, so I was about, let's say I was 15, so I was born in 44, so what's that, 59? Mm-hmm. Uh, some American missionaries, five American missionaries, young men, uh, were martyred in Ecuador, going in to reach a tribe called the Alka Indians. Mm-hmm. And in, in the big Aberdeen Salvation Army Citadel, um, two of the widows came on a, a speaking tour of the UK, and they spoke there. And... Um, I stood up that night when there was an appeal at the end to offer your lives to Christ for service for him, whether at home or overseas. Um, I stood up that night, and that was a very important point for me. Uh, six years of age, yes, but now I was 15, and uh, you think things very differently, don't you? The whole world is beginning to open up for you. So I think that was a, a very important time for me, really. And there were, yeah, but there were big knocks on the road after that. But that was around the time when I was baptized in water. Fantastic. Now, obviously, in those early days, did the whole idea of possibly you spending a life in ministry begin to form, or was that a wee bit later on? No, it was. It was around that time. One Sunday morning, I was I was sitting in our Baptist church in Aberdeen, and uh, for, for no accountable reason, Blair, <laughs> I just remember uh, thinking. And sort of saying to God, I wasn't aware I was really saying it to God. I was sort of thinking out loud. I was saying, well, God, if you want me to lead a church in the future, it's not going to be like this. 
I felt it was, as, as you do when you're in your middle teams, I felt it was boring, the same every week. Uh, I was not enamored with it at all. And uh, so I remember saying that, uh, and uh, I believe God was obviously in that. Yes, and of course, of course, when you have that sort of conversation with God, he bounces it right back to you, doesn't he? And <laughs> yes. say, well, okay then. <laughs> yes, quite. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's do this together. Uh, yes, yeah. absolutely. So, uh, so how did things progress then? Obviously, you had to do training. Yes. Uh, well, when I left school, I went into banking. I worked for, for one of the Scottish banks for eight years. First of all, in Edinburgh, and then in, if, sorry, first of all, in Aberdeen, then in Edinburgh. And... Um, uh, and I was uh, worshipping in, in an excellent church in Edinburgh, Charlotte Chapel, Alan Redpath, uh, who was a, a, oh, he was just great. You know, for, as a young person, he was, he was just so different. He was, he was a man's man. He was uh, down to earth. Uh, the young people in the church were over 100 of us. They just loved him. And we learned so much from him. And um, it was during those years, uh, late teens, early 20s, that I began to think, well, if God wants me in some form of uh, Christian ministry, whether at home or overseas, because I wasn't at all sure which, um, I, I ought to think about training. So I went and sat down and spoke with uh, one of the elders, the, the elder who was uh, really giving oversight to young people's work in the church. It was a big church. And um, I, I said to him, what do you think? And, um, and as a result of that, there was a confirmation from him that, uh, yes, they did believe it was right for me to prepare at some point for training, but it wouldn't be for a few years yet. It's interesting, you know, because some people think that, you know, that in order to serve God, you, you have to go into the formal ministry. Uh, did you, did you, looking back now, do you value those years that you had in banking in, in what some people would call the secular world, although I hate that term, yeah. you know, but you know what I mean? Did, did, did God... Be- begin to do more shaping of of the young David Craig yeah. all through those commercial years. Very much so. I wouldn't have missed them for world because um, I think to go straight from uh, education of some kind uh, st- without working in a, a nine to five job, if I can call it that. I think if you go straight from that into say a Bible college, that I do not think is ideal at all. Um, I think you need to have experience uh, rubbing shoulders with ordinary people doing everyday work with all the pressures that brings and the boredom it brings sometimes uh, I think that's really important and for me those eight years in banking were stimulating to be quite honest there was one point when uh, overseas banking was the in thing and there were many opportunities for somebody of my age at that time in my early 20s to go to an overseas bank, that was very attractive. Was there any particular country that you thought, I could go there? <laughs> well, I was, interested in, in, I was interested in the Caribbean. <laughs> well, who wouldn't be, David? <laughs> but, but actually, it was Barclays DCO that I began to make approaches to. And um, uh, so banking at that time, I don't think it's the same today at all. Banking has totally changed. But banking at that time was a very uh, person-to-person thing. I loved the com- I loved the contact with with um, with customers coming in i was working on the cash desk for quite a number of years foreign exchange securities as well but i love the one-to-one contact with people and uh, 
certainly the thought of uh, doing that in another culture for some years was very attractive at the time. <laughs> and what was the church like then? When, you, when I was a boy, uh, I was went to St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church, yeah. and there were 500 young people in my Sunday school. Now, I know in, wow. Sc- in Scotland where you were, yeah. and of course you were in Charlotte Chapel, yeah. which of course was a, was a renowned Bible teaching yeah. church. Uh, what, was it, what was it like to, to go to church then? I, I have to say I, I really enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. So different from uh, the, what I was talking about earlier in my life in Aberdeen, really enjoyed it. There was life. There was life there. Uh, I, the, the, as you say, the teaching, the teaching was wonderful, really. Very down to earth, very, pra- very sort of rooted into what, is, what you need to have for, li- for living life for Jesus. Uh, plus, you're surrounded by, as I say, over a hundred young people of your own age, and we would uh, we would go out and uh, we would take we in Edinburgh at that time and still may well be there was um, a mission to to the down and out as we used to call them the homeless, and we were very involved in that every week as young people teams of young people would go there, and so it gave me an opportunity to to touch an area of society which I knew little about opened my eyes and give me a real heart for people who are without hope. I mean, today, uh, people would say that, you know, that, that the church has lost something. Many people don't read the Bibles. The, 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 I mean, I was listening to Artie Kendall just at the weekend, yeah. and, and, he, and he was really challenging speaking about the church as we know it right now. Yeah. He was very encouraging about the church, which is to come. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, but, but, of course, the culture is so, so different. I mean, we're talking about quite a time span, of course, between now yes. a, 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 and then. Uh, but but w- were there large numbers that went to church in those days? Yes, uh, in in uh, in what I would call Bible churches, yes, there, there were large numbers. Um, at the same time, there were many many churches in Scotland where there was just very few people, uh, and the the difference was if the church was built around the person of Christ and the work of Christ and the mission of Christ, then you would find a living church, and certainly Charlotte Chapel was that in every way. The wonderful hymn there, Oh Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. Uh, And we were just talking uh, off air there about how these old hymns actually contain quite a lot of theology. So if you wanted to grow in your Christian faith, then all you had to do was focus on the words of those hymns. That's right, David, isn't it? Absolutely. And in fact, I can remember when uh, people, ministers used to encourage Christians uh, to read the Bible and to have a good hymn book in the other hand, because some of the hymns, only some of them, sadly, but some of, <laughs> yes. some of them, some of them are full of great theology that really build you up in God. Yeah, and of course the same remains today, because I mean, obviously we get loads of music through the through the studio here, but but the ones that really speak to me are the ones that have the firm theological basis, basis. on it, you know, because because yeah. you really can worship <laughs> from those, uh, and that includes the old hymns as as well. Yes, and worship has to be God directed. Uh, you know, we need to we need in our worship to be looking at God and singing about God. 
because that builds us up in our relationship with him and it strengthens us in our life for him. It's funny because I was listening to somebody the other day and they were saying, what will we be doing in heaven, you know? And of course the answer is, we'll be doing more singing than we'll be doing, I don't think there will be preaching in heaven, you know, but <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> anyway, moving on, I mean, obviously you, um, you went to Bible college, but there's some other very important part of your life I need to ask you about, and that's the romantic part of your life, because obviously, uh, and I, I know the dear lady's probably listening to us right now. Maureen, if you're listening, good morning to you. God bless you. Uh, uh, how did you two meet? Well, it was in that church in Aberdeen. Um, my parents moved church, and uh, when we arrived in this uh, this this uh, this new church for them and for me, uh, there was Maureen in the in the youth group, and um, yes. I was attracted to her feisty, feisty uh, kind of personality. But she wasn't a laid-back sort of person. Never been a laid-back sort of person. <laughs> not, 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 not frightened to speak her mind. No, that's right. Uh, that's right. Sometimes uh, uh, I, I, she's been so excellent o- over the years in confronting people in the right way, confronting people, and sometimes I've been the person that's come around to just... Um, Calm the edges. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, this is amazing, isn't it, how the Bible puts often people who have got totally opposite personalities together, and yes. yet they blend together as one. It's, it's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, it's, so Maureen, whereas I came from a family of, of, of parents who loved Jesus, Maureen came from a, an, an excellent family, but they weren't really committed to Christ. And um, so it was actually a Billy Graham uh, relay uh, from Haringey into uh, the YMCA in Aberdeen when uh, Maureen in her teens was taken there by a friend uh, and uh, she committed her life to Jesus uh, at that point in time. Um, I went down to Edinburgh some years later in the bank- in banking and she followed me and that's where we got married. Fantastic. So the whole idea of call to full-time service, were you both engaged in that? I, yes, we were, but I think it's fair to say that that I I I was the one who felt that call, um, and uh, obviously then I I remember saying to Maureen uh, around the time I proposed to her, uh, look, dear, <laughs> you need to realise that I, I'm a banker at the moment, but I don't think I'm going to be a banker all my life. Uh, and she knew she knew the the, the past and so on, and uh, I I said to her. Uh, are you prepared for that, that we may be going overseas, we may remain at home in home ministry? And uh, and she said, probably somewhat naively, <laughs> she said, yes, I'm ready for that. Uh, so in I suppose in the very early stages, Maureen was following me. She was wholly with me, but she was following my call. But of course, in the years that followed, uh, she just knew that that's what God had for her. And so God began to develop her own gifting and her own ministry. And of course, it's really important, isn't it? Because some people misunderstand, you know, about the men ruling over the women and women should be quiet and all of that. But of course, it's not quite like that, is it? Because, uh, and I guess that your role, like all uh, husbands' role, is to bring the very best out in your wife and, and help her to blossom. That exactly is, is right, Blair. I, I love that picture that the husband is to is to enable the potential that God has built into his wife in every area uh, to come through, certainly in her relationship with God, yes, but in every area of her life. Because one of the things we never realize when we're younger (laughs) about ourselves and about other people is that God has built such a huge potential in. He created us, and if we're in Christ, he's redeemed us, 
and he has built into us that for which he created us and and uh, so he's got this purpose in life for us and it's finding out the potential that's that's in your wife in yourself and uh, and doing everything you can to facilitate that to encourage that to affirm that um yeah uh, one of my great joys uh, was to see Maureen developing in God, developing her gifting and ministry. And in many, many, many areas, she is far ahead of me. I, she, I, there are some areas that uh, I know that that's her gifting and it's not mm-hmm. mine. And of course, uh, you know, we, we can miss out on that, can't we? Be, because, you know, the, uh, the theology of, you know, the man ruling the woman, I think people do completely you know, misread that. And we have this yeah. dominance thing, haven't we? Yes. Whereas, whereas of course, it's a marriage is really about a, par- a, you know, a partnership together. Yes, uh, absolutely. So in terms of choosing your theological college, um, I mean, I guess with having Alan Redpath as a pastor, yeah. you would have had a very good steerage. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but even then, uh, were there sort of liberal type uh, teaching going on in some of the colleges in, around the UK and indeed in Scotland? Yeah, I'm sure there, I'm sure there were. But, but I, my contacts are with people who'd been to... to um, what we would call evangelical Bible colleges, Bible-believing, gospel-preaching uh, Bible colleges. Um, there was the Bible Training Institute in Glasgow, which would have been probably the nearest one. There was the Faith Mission, actually, based in Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had some friends who had gone to London Bible College. I also had a very dear friend in the Youth Fellowship who went to Moody uh, in the States, and uh, Chicago in Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but um, but I, I ended up going to LBC uh, and uh, which meant, of course, a big move uh, for both Maureen and myself uh, right down to uh, to London for three years. And did, did Maureen do the theological training with you or was she your, your support Maureen doing something else? No, she didn't do the training with me because we had our first son, Kevin, by that time. And so she was at home looking after Kevin. But uh, actually... She did a very, very important thing, a key thing when I was at Bible College. I I was surviving on a Scottish Education Department grant, uh, which by no means met the needs. And Maureen developed as a Tupperware agent. Some people might remember Tupperware. Oh, I remember, yeah. And and she became a very, very good saleswoman for Tupperware in North London. And they had this Tupperware would present you with this huge blue case. It was a big case chuck a block with Tupperware and off she would go on the bus down to the tube and across North London buses and tubes carting this big case um, and uh, she did very well and that helped our finances immeasurably. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the uh, theological training like for you then? It was very good. Um, it, it was, it, there, w- there were two courses running at the same time. You were doing a London University theological course and you were doing the college's own um, subject matter as well. So you're running two at the same time. Um, and that was really helpful. I struggled a bit with the university course um, because for eight years I'd been doing banking examinations, but I had never, I'd never gone to university. I'd never done uh, that, that level of study before. So for me, coming in from eight years in, in business, um, it, it was quite a challenge, the university course. Uh, in the goodness of God, I was able to complete it successfully. Um, but the, whereas the college courses, uh, 
Yeah, I lapped, I lapped them up. <laughs> <laughs> now, as you look back on that training, and of course you've done a lot since, not, not the least of which being in the school of actually doing it. Doing it, uh, yeah. But uh, what, did the training prepare you for what you, what you had to face, what you have faced all your life? I have to say no, not really. Um, uh, the, the, there was a huge lack in those days. We're talking 67 to 70. There was a huge lack in those days of training which really helped you to do the very stuff you were going to have to do in the local church or overseas if you went overseas. Um, and you, you left college and you suddenly realized in your first church, they never told me about this. What do I do here? And that was when I found going to uh, one or two local uh, leaders, Kensington Temple was just around the corner, uh, and uh, a London City Mission just up the road where there was a lovely old guy who really was a blessing to me as a young man. You would go to them and ask for advice on the practical stuff. How do you conduct a wedding? What do you do when somebody dies? How do you conduct a funeral? There was no teaching about that. What do you do when, uh, when people are in real need in the life of the church, in, in, in personal um, conversation, in counseling? Well, that, that word was never used in those days. But uh, no, there was no teaching about that. Um, now, there was, great, there was great teaching about the Word of God and in the Word of God, which is absolutely vital, of course. But in terms of, in terms of some of the practical stuff, very little indeed. So, in a very real sense, you had to you had to cut your your ex, your experience, you know, learn on the job. Yeah. And as you quite rightly said, having mentors yes. uh, uh, around you. Now, you of course do a lot of this yourself. Over the years, you've mentored a lot of people, not the least of which at Moreland's College, uh, where uh, you had a pastoral role there with Maureen, didn't you, for a long time? So, it is important that people have a good mentor, isn't it? It's very, very important, uh, and that was. The word mentor was never used in those days. Uh, our first church in London, 70 to 78, uh, you never heard such a word. Uh, mothers and fathers and God, that was never mentioned. Uh, you were sort of, you were thrust out, as it were, from college, and uh, you were going to sink or swim. And sadly, there were those who did sink. Um, but uh, as we've learned in the years since, mentoring and, uh, and being a, a father or a mother in God to people is really important. And I remember, um, many years ago now, I remember Moe and I saying to God, Lord, if we are in this for the long haul, if we survive (laughs) (laughs) for the long haul in ministry, please use us in that area because we lacked it so much. For many, many years, we, there was nobody to whom you could turn unless you, as I say, in London, you, you, went and, you, you went out and found them, as it were. Now, there you were getting your training uh, at the college and getting inspired and so on. What about Maureen then? Uh, oh, she had the kids, of course. Yes. Uh, were you able to ha- encourage her in her own spiritual growth? Or what did she do, apart from selling the Tupperware, of course, <laughs> which, of course, would have been an education in itself? <laughs> it was, yes. Well... Uh, the, the college did, um, in the last six months uh, of your third year course, they did put something on for the wives of uh, uh, those who thought they were going into some kind of long-term Christian ministry, as the things say, from teaching RE. But Maureen said it really was not very helpful, in the same way as, in a sense, I've just said about myself. Um, so it was, it was really feeding herself in God, um, we were in a very good local church in Islington, and uh, so she had relationships there and friendships there, which helped her to grow in God as well. Uh, so there, there wasn't a lot going, but um, there was enough there 
to help her to keep moving on. But as you rightly say, with the children, uh, by the time we left, we had three. There was there was not much time apart from looking after the home. A sort of survival, really. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and helping the finances. Absolutely, yes. absolutely. So poor yeah. morning must have been exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> she was young then. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And now, you've mentioned, of course, about the local church. And I guess one lesson that you did learn very early on was the importance of having a good church. Yes. Uh, and... And of course, you know, that is something that you have built um, mm. in a strong churches over, over over the years. What ingredients do you think are important uh, for the local church to be the powerhouse of light, to give the support, the guidance mm. that, that, that all of us so much need? Well, first of all, and it might seem very unimportant, but first of all, that you're welcomed. Uh, between... Um, Finishing uh, and laying down the leadership at BCC in 2009, um, we had about six or nine months when uh, before we went back into BCC. And um, we went to various churches, usually churches that we were not known in. And one of the really disappointing things, uh, and that's putting it mildly, one of the really disappointing things was the lack of welcome to people. Well, we were visitors. Mm. And... Um, we deliberately, as I say, went to churches that didn't know us. Um, so it wasn't we were expecting to be recognized. Mm. We just thought, if this, is, if this is how people come into this church, whatever church it was, there was a number like this, uh, and they don't even receive a basic welcome, um, I, I was really saddened about that and upset about it, really. So I think that is one of the really important things. So is fundamental. Fundamental is, is that there's a, a good welcome team uh, every Sunday, and that the whole congregation is encouraged every Sunday to reach out as a natural thing. Some people do it naturally. Many people don't. Uh, they have to be encouraged in that sense. So that's, that's something that's very and of important. of course, Jesus loved going to people's houses. He invited himself often, <laughs> didn't he, for meals and He things. did, absolutely. And what's better? Uh, this, I remember that in this first church in London, we would be invited out as a family with three young children um, for meals. Now that's a big, that's a big deal. <laughs> but it does, yes. it, it is, it means a lot. It does mean a lot. So that's important. Uh, so welcome. Welcome's important. Uh, knowing that, knowing that the guy who leads it, or the girl nowadays who who may lead it, that they have w taken the trouble to find out who you are. Not on the first Sunday, but if you're going, as I think you should, if you're looking for a church, if you're going to go to one church for quite a wee time. Uh, maybe a month, six weeks, two months. It's no use just going one Sunday. Then I would hope within a few weeks that the leader or somebody who is in the leadership uh, area of the church and who has some responsibility for this will reach out and ask you some questions about yourself and seek to get to know you. How did you cope with remembering names? Were it's, you good at that? I'm glad I'm not doing it now. I'm hopeless now. <laughs> I'm forgetting the Because my, my, my big problem is because I see so many people. And yes. you, but it's just remembering names. Well, I used to have a card index system. <laughs> and uh, if, I met, a photograph. Yeah, yeah, if I met somebody on a Sunday morning, I would go home and write down the name or anything else I remembered. And then as I got to speak to them again, I would write some more information down. Mm. Uh, I was reasonably good at remembering names in those early days. <laughs> <laughs> so warm welcome. Uh, make sure that the leadership of the church uh, delve into knowing you better, knowing yes. you more. And obviously, 
it's evident that they love the Lord Jesus and they love his word and that they teach it and that they're concerned to see people growing in their relationship with Jesus. That seems a strange thing, isn't it? Because some people would say, well, it's a church. I mean, surely, you know, that, that's, that's a non-negotiable, you know. <laughs> but of course, these days, it's not quite like that, is it? No, it's not. And so you do, have to, you do have to ask God when you're looking for a church, Lord, please, will you lead me to the church you want me to be in, where you want me to worship you, where you want me to serve you? Now, one of the things in recent years, especially since COVID, is church leaders are all talking about it. The lack of volunteers, lack of people willing to volunteer on a, on a regular basis in an area of ministry. And, uh, and so, therefore, when you're looking for church, you're not just looking to be there to be welcomed uh, and to hear good teaching and preaching and growing God. But you should be there asking God, how can I serve you? How can I serve you and your people in this place? Hope FM, Faith-Filled Radio. My special guest, David Craig, has been very patient. And uh, your first pastor, uh, David, so you completed theological yeah. training at London Bible College. Um, how did you, or hard mm. were you selected? Because <laughs> it's the other way around, isn't it? You, you, you sort of preach with a view these days, or then. Yeah, what a strange phrase that is, isn't it? It is. Preach with a view. What, is, what does it mean? I don't know, but it's been around for years. Hopefully it's not used so much these days. But anyway, uh, well, I was at Bible College, of course, you have opportunities to go and preach at various churches. And um, there was a church in East London that uh, uh, expressed an interest in us going there. Um, but actually, it was uh, a church in Notting Hill, uh, Westbourne Grove Baptist Church in Notting Hill, which um, we ended up going to. And um, uh, we were there for eight years from 70 to so 78. Very multicultural area then. Very. And uh, but this church was a huge Victorian building, massive. Uh, Spurgeon had preached there, 2,000 people, eight, with huge galleries. Um, and when we went there, there were 15 people. Uh, my father said to me that after the welcome service the night before on the first Sunday morning, he said to me, David, there's only one way you can go here, <laughs> and that's up. And, uh, but, um, yeah, it was, it, was a very, it was a very real needy situation. The guys, the 15 guys who were there were superb, but, wow, it was, it was a big challenge. And what I felt in my first year, and you won't be surprised to hear this, was I thought I do not have what it takes you come out of college, you know, you think you're going to set the heather on fire. And then you realize, I, I don't even know if I'm going to survive this. Um, and so I began to, uh, oh, thank you, Lord, for this. I began to seek more of God. I said, God, I, I'm not, I haven't got the resources for this. I may have had three years of Bible college, but I haven't got the internal resources in you, my relationship with you, my knowledge of you. It, it feels weak. Uh, and... Um, so I began to seek God, and I, I went to speak to some of those local guys I mentioned earlier. Uh, I went to see Eldon Corsi, who was leading Kensington Temple at the time, um, a real man of God, and dear old John Fidge at that London City Mission. And, um, and they both said, to my surprise, when I told them where I was at, they said, David, just keep seeking God. Now, I thought they would pray for me, and that God would do something, you know, wonderful. Yes. Uh, they said, David, just carry on as you are and, and keep seeking God. Uh, so, so I did. 
Um, and then there was a lady who began, an elderly lady. I don't know how old she was, but to me as a young guy, she seems elderly. She started coming on a Sunday morning. how old were you then? Well, I, in 1970, I was 26 when mm. I started there, yeah. yes. And, um, and so I, uh, this elderly lady, on a Sunday morning, as she went out, she would say, thank you, David. Then one Sunday morning, she said, thank you, David. Uh, thank you for preaching the word of God. But David... You need the spirit. And you said, what? (laughs) So I thought, hmm, well, God, I've been seeking you. But what I haven't said so far is that when I was at college, I was very resistant to the stories I was hearing about the Holy Spirit breaking through in people's lives. Uh, So I, I wasn't... Until God began to get hold of me in that first year in ministry when I, I knew I didn't have what I needed in God, which prepared me for what she said. Now, I found out that her husband was an Anglican vicar leading the London Healing Mission. Now, the London Healing Mission, Blair, I, <laughs> I'd never heard of such a thing. Mm. And, um, however, I had a call from him one day. His wife had obviously spoken to him. And he phoned me up one day, Roy Jeremiah was his name, and um, he said, David, um, my wife has mentioned you to me. How would you like to come and see me? I didn't want to go and see him, Blair. I did that. An Anglican vicar, I, w- I was from a Baptist background in Scotland. Mm. I didn't know much about the Church of England, even though I'd been to an interdenominational college, as London Bible College was. Um, and he was leading a healing mission. I-, I was pretty suspicious of this guy, really. I did not want to go. But... Um, when he suggested I came at a certain time, I couldn't say no, so I went. And I began to pour out my story to him. I was happy to do that to the other guys, Eldon and John Fidge, but not so much to Roy Jeremiah. And at the, at the end of it, I, I, he said to me, David, can I pray for you? And I thought to myself, look, God, I'd have been happy for those guys to pray for me. I am not happy for this guy. And you know what came into my mind was the story in the Old Testament of um, of Naaman the leper, mm-hmm. and uh, Elisha suggested to him that he he went and bathed in the river Jordan, the bit muddy of, old bit Jordan. Of an, bit of an insult, insult wasn't there? Yeah. And he thought, no, no, I'd be happy in some of my own rivers, but not that filthy river. And God reminded me of this story, and reminded me that when Naaman did what God said, he was healed. And so, Roy prayed for me, and what I felt was. I felt as if everything was being emptied out of me from the top of my head to my feet. And I went home as a young man feeling very, very weak. I was about 28, 29 by this time. And in fact, I said to Maureen, I've got to go to bed. Now, that was unknown. It was five o'clock in the afternoon. I was just felt so weak. But that was the beginning of God doing a new thing in my life. He had to get rid of David, if you know what I mean. <laughs> that, that, that David's relying on himself. And of course, this is a process that every single believer, <laughs> I mean, you were a church leader, but the truth of the matter is that all of us, everybody who calls themselves by his name, by the name of Jesus, needs to have that experience, but many don't, of course. Yes, and really to try and live out the life of Jesus without the Holy Spirit, who is the promised gift of God to us to help us to live life with Jesus and for Jesus and in Jesus, then we're at a huge disadvantage, huge. It's like, for me, it was like being born again. 
uh, coming into the life of the Spirit. It, I had to, it was a learning experience. I had to learn to live life uh, in the Spirit and not just in the way that I had been, really, which was relying very much on things I had learned in my head and uh, things that I'd been taught uh, was the way to do things. So how did that progress? So you, oh, there you were, you'd been prayed for, you, you felt weak. How, how did the understanding of what was going on, how did you put meat on the bones, if you like? Well, a very significant thing happened uh, a few weeks later. Roy Jeremiah phoned me up and said, David, um, I'm getting on in years, uh, and sometimes there are people who come to see me, uh, and I, I need somebody else alongside me. Would you come this particular afternoon? Uh, again, I didn't really want to go. Um, but I went, and he explained to me that he was going to see someone, um, and um, he thought it was quite a difficult situation. He did a lot of wisdom about it from God. Um, and um, he left me in a room, and he went and saw the person. He said, I'll call you in later. And I said to God, God, I don't know what's going to go on here, but I have never been in a situation like this before. I don't know what to do. Please, please, will you equip me? And I found myself speaking out in the gift of tongues, which is a, a gift from the Holy Spirit, uh, which enables us to worship, to praise, to intercede in a language we've never learned. Had you done that before? Never, never. And, um, and I, but I realized as I was speaking this, this out, this language I'd never heard before, never learned before, I realized I was worshiping God for his greatness and his glory and his wisdom and his power. And then Roy called me in. And um, he led. I didn't do anything much that afternoon at all. Um, but it was a, a, the key thing for me that afternoon was that God met with me in, the, in giving me the gift of, of the Holy Spirit in terms of tongues. And that's, then I began to learn in the years that followed what an amazing gift this is. So, of course, God. that was transformed your prayer life. Transformed it, because primarily, of course, it is for your private devotional life to build you up, to edify you in God. Uh, and and so that that was that began to get me on the road <laughs> in a big way. <laughs> <laughs> now, of course, you had this other uh, little church, of course, that yes. you were leading. Yes. Uh, what was their theology like? <laughs> I mean, obviously, the lady who said to you, "David, what you need <laughs> is the Holy Spirit." Um, what, what 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 about the other fourteen? They didn't know what had happened. I never told them. Um, you know why I didn't tell them? I, I, I totally chickened out. I knew God wanted me to tell them, but I thought, I said to God, God, if I tell them, we've just got a small company of people here. I'll shipwreck the place. The place make, their work might close down. Um, so I was fearful that if I came out and told the truth, because at that time, in the 70s, many, well, I say many churches, but I was hearing about churches that were getting split down the middle uh, over this whole business of what they called the charismatic movement. And I, I was afraid that if I shared my testimony and talked about this openly and taught about it, that that's what would happen. So, to my shame, I, I didn't do anything about it in the life of the church. Occasionally, one-to-one -one with people, I would, I would uh, share my testimony about the, the work of the Spirit. But to never publicly and openly in the life of the church for, until uh, when I was there. Afterwards, when I came to Bournemouth, one of the first things that God led me to within a year was to repent of that and say how sorry I was and to say to God, yes, whatever it costs, I'm willing to, I'm willing to walk that way now. Now, notwithstanding that fear, God still blessed you at that church, didn't he? He did. He did. And the church grew. Uh, and when we left, we were about 80 people. 
Um, a, a, a lot of people from different nationalities, you might suggest, as you might expect, in Notting Hill, which was very, very exciting. But really. she enjoyed the food there. I did. <laughs> a lot of West Indians, a lot of Nigerians, yeah. and also quite a lot of young people who were coming from the Commonwealth to experience Europe, to travel around Europe. And they would get a job in London, first of all. Mm -hmm. And we were amongst a place where there were many hostels for young people. And it was a very, very uh, exciting, enjoyable time in all the best terms. You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Well, uh, Pastor David Craig is my guest today, obviously reflecting on, on a life of service. And you heard there about that uh, church in uh, Notting Hill. But of course, you didn't stay there. You had uh, God did bless you, even though you were a little bit frightened, intimidated <laughs> about maybe sharing some of the things that were happening to you in your journey of discovery for the about mm. the Holy Spirit. So down to Winton, you come. Yes. And something completely different. <laughs> so what what was it that attracted you to the to the Bournemouth area? Well, actually, there was a, uh, a there was a deacon in the church at the time, and his daughter was studying in London, and she was one of those students who came and worshipped with us, not from overseas in this case, but from Bournemouth. And um, unbeknown to me, she mentioned to her father, "Why don't you invite David round to preach?" Because they were looking for uh, somebody to come and fill the pastoral vacancy, and that's how I ended up preaching at Winton. Um, strangely enough, when I had been in, uh, well, I was about nine years of age, my family, my parents moved to Bournemouth for a year and we worshipped at that church sometimes, not all the time, mostly at Lansdowne. So um, there was a bit of a history. <laughs> yeah, so down you come. And of course, it's a, a rough place to come to Bournemouth, isn't it? <laughs> you know, it, Bournemouth in 78 seemed the end of the world. After living in Notting Hill with all these different nationalities, it was just... It was a just backwater. a backwater, and um, we really missed the international flavour uh, of the of the church in Notting Hill. Um, it, it was um, people who many of them had never been north of Watford, as the expression goes. Uh, so, in the first few years, um, really, I, I, um, well, I was I I was opening up the Word of God and seeking to preach the Word of God, as as of course I would always seek to do. Um, but I, I didn't come out in the open with anything in terms of the work of the Spirit until I went on holiday after our first year. And, and God said to me, David, uh, what about what I did in your life in London? What are you going to do about it? I was asking God, actually, what's wrong with this church? Because having looked for a year at the people I was preaching the Word of God to, um, I just said, God, what is it about these people? These they, there's, there's, there seems to be no response, no reaction. And as God often does, he turned around and said, David, let's talk about you, son. Mm. And um, what are you going to do about the work of the Spirit? And that was a time when I came to a place of repentance and um, offered myself to the Lord uh, to do what he wanted me to do and to say what he wanted me to say. And he did warn me that uh, that, that would cause considerable difficulties. Well, you, you were warned, and I guess you, you, even in London you knew that that would potentially mm. cause some yeah. problems. But how did it pan out? Well, I, f I began to preach on Sunday mornings in 1982, so I've been there nearly four years, preach through um, the doctrine of the church and then the resources for the church when I began to speak about the Holy Spirit out of the Scriptures. And I thought the balloon would go up then. 
It didn't, in fact. When the problems began to start was when people began to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's when, that's when things began to get difficult. And uh, understandably, uh, because when, whatever way change comes in our lives, uh, we find that sometimes very difficult to respond to. And there are all different kinds of reactions. And there were all different kinds of reactions in the life of the church. Some people, not many, some people were, uh, were so thankful. Uh, but a lot of people were not happy. And uh, we, gradually, we gradually lost some people. Uh, I always thank God there wasn't one big moment when the church emptied. But gradually, uh, people began to leave. They each had their different departure points. But God used to bring in people. Not a huge crowd, just almost replacing people that had gone in terms of numbers. Um, so I would say the years from 82 to 86 were, were the toughest ever in ministry. And, and painful for you and indeed for Maureen, because she, I mean, obviously is the one who's sort of sitting there watching what's happening to her husband. It, you must have had to really hold her back. Yes, um, she was sometimes very, very upset uh, um, about things that were said to me personally. Um, but, um, but wonderfully, um, <laughs> wonderfully, um, you know, Maureen was understanding because uh, she wasn't filled with the Spirit when I was back in London, and she was very reluctant and very unsure about so this. She, so she'd been down that road herself. Of, of, she had, but it was it was not until 1984, 85, that uh, God met with her, and um, so we were together. But at that point. Although right up until then, Maureen was, couldn't have been more supportive and loving and, and getting stuck in in various ways in the life of the church, obviously, too. So, um, so yes, at the end of 86, um, I, I, without going into all the details, I knew that um, when a particular couple, uh, we came home from holiday and their resignation was in the mail. Um, and God said to me, uh, David, that's the end. And it was the end. It was the end of people leaving over the whole business about the, the changing uh, nature of the life of the church in terms of the spirit. Now, though you came to the end, alongside this very painful experience, you saw what the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of the people who were being touched by, the, by him. Indeed. Did that sustain you? Oh, definitely. Uh, we saw, we saw people coming to Christ. That was the joy. Um, amazing numbers of people getting baptized in water. Uh, not all of them coming into the life of the Spirit, but many coming into the life of the Spirit. And seeing how God was healing broken people. Uh, we didn't have many Christians at that time coming from other churches. God was bringing in people who, who were either not Christians at all or were broken, uh, having maybe been nominally Christians, but not really in Christ uh, through a living faith, and seeing how God was healing people, which was a huge learning experience for Maureen and myself, uh, because we used to meet with people together. And um, so that was a joy. Uh, uh, you could see what, what God could do. And many of those people uh, are still standing serving God today. Uh, but to see God healing broken, needy people was wonderful.
Well, of course, that's Shine, Jesus, Shine. Of course, a song which is sung. In fact, my little grandson loves to sing it. In fact, he was singing it. He was totally stark as David. And he was singing at the top of his voice, which is pictures in my mind. But, of course, still a great hymn. And, of course, as you rightly said, connected with those wonderful marches for Jesus around the country. Now, of course, you were soon to have a a week of prayer and fasting at at Winton. Uh, What led to that and what happened? Well, I said a moment ago that... um, We'd had this resignation from a couple, and God had said to me that was the that was the end, end of the line. Yeah, and that was the, the that was in uh, the autumn of of ninety uh, six, and in the same mail, there were letters, two letters from two ladies in the church. They never knew that the other one had written, and they were both directing me to the book of Joel and the call to call the people to fast and pray. Now, I had never fasted in my life. I had never heard any teaching about it. Um, and uh, and so I, I took this. I believed it was from God. And I took it to the leaders. And uh, with a bit of uh, hesitation, I wasn't sure what they, would, what they would think. But they agreed entirely this was God. So we had a week of prayer and fasting in January 87. And Blair, that was such a significant point in the life of the church. Uh, we met every evening, Monday to Friday, uh, as a church, and uh, obviously we gave deta- we, we explained to the church in, in detailed ways about how, to, how they could go about this and looked at what the scripture had to say. And, um, but we cleared the decks before God, personally and as a church. We, we repented and asked his forgiveness for things that uh, we knew in my years that there had been grieving the Spirit of God. And in, in the years before I came, uh, there were issues that uh, needed to be brought to God in repentance. And um, we went home, Maureen and I, <laughs> on the Friday night. And it was just a, an amazing sense of, oh, we just knew God was in this. And we were sitting up in bed talking about it. And um, I said to Maureen, is there any Vianetta in the, in the, in the, fr- in the freezer? Uh, Vianetta being a, a beautiful ice cream. Ice cream. Mm. Uh, and she went downstairs and brought it up, and we sat and consumed uh, what was left of this Vianetta. <laughs> it was our celebration because yes. we knew that God had done something significant. Mm. Uh, and in the years that followed, that we began to see the outworkings of that, really. Now, of course, uh, BCC was to be born, a whole story in itself mm. and so on. But what, what were the principal uh, building blocks that led to that? Well, we continued to have regular days of prayer and fasting as a church over the years that succeeded. And um, uh, and, uh, we began to, we were growing, uh, growing quite fast now. And uh, so our building in in the old Calvin Road became full up. And uh, so we planted out congregations, uh, first of all, one in Hillview in in 92, and then one in Charminster in 89. In fact, Charminster was first in 89, then Hillview in 92. Uh, and we also had the joy of sending many people out in those years overseas as missionaries, as church planters, and we planted a congregation in Hong Kong. Uh, so this thing about, God, do you want me to serve you at home or overseas, years ago, um, in a sense, God's given me a great joy in seeing many others go and serve him overseas and also to be able to visit myself and plant uh, a congregation in Hong Kong. So, and the church continued to grow. And uh, then we began to think, well, what are we going to do here? So uh, we, 
we continued to keep our building at Calvin Road for everything else, but we began to rent school buildings. First of all, Glenmore School, and then, uh, and then Winton Academy uh, next door. Uh, and, um, but the, the days of prayer and fasting, appointing godly people in leadership, uh, training, uh, training up and discipling, um, that, all these things were, were key to what was going ahead. And uh, I mean, as you look back on those days, because obviously, when you, whenever you you move into you know, a big project like that, because there's a lot of finance and so on, it must have been quite scary, actually. Um, but I guess it's also a way in which God was able to demonstrate that this is the right thing to do. Well, one of the things that I realised was that um, if you don't teach, you don't get. And there were many areas in those years from. Uh, uh, from uh, you know eighty seven onwards, when I realized there were g- great gaps in our teaching ministry, um, so for example, one of them was uh, teaching about giving um, and so we began to teach about giving. We talked about tithing uh, and uh, wider than that obviously tithes and offerings and um, and so it, the, sometimes you know when a church gathers to make a decision, the question will be say well we haven 't got the money. And I tried to point out that that's not the question. The question is, what is God saying to us as a church? Whether it's appointment of new staff or whether it's uh, a building project, whatever. What is God saying? Once you've ascertained that, then you can look at the money issue. Yes, you have to be thoughtful about that. I'm not suggesting that you go into that in a careless way. But get the first principles right. Is God in this? Is this what God is asking us to do? Uh, and then if it is, you can be sure that providing you're careful in the, in the way you go about it and not rash, God will provide. And I always remember when we appointed our first full-time member of staff uh, in 1987, uh, after in the year of that week of prayer and fasting, that to appoint him was going to involve a 40% rise in our income. And, uh, but at that church meeting, and there weren't many people there, at that church meeting, everybody said, this is God, we need to go for it. And God provided. And so it's been over the years, um, providing you are asking God and seeking to walk in his ways and checking it out with God, whether it's been this appointment of staff over the years or in building projects or sending people overseas and funding them ourselves as our own sent people, then it's been something that God has honoured. That's uh, Brian Dorkson there with Faithful One. David, of course, your entire ministry and, and right to today has all been about people. Mm. But I know you've got concerns about the way that we care for one another. Mm. Uh, share your heart with us on that. Well, I am, I am increasingly concerned really about what I would call lack of pastoral care for the people of God. Um, I was privileged uh, with Maureen uh, to... Um, to spend time with people. And it was through spending time with them on a regular basis that um, God showed them what the roadblocks were in their lives from coming into more fullness of life in God. 
and of becoming secure in God and of being able to use their gifts for God, whether at home or overseas. Uh, and um, obviously, as the church grew, uh, we were less able to spend th that same amount of time. Maureen continued to, but I wasn't able to because the staff team grew and the church was growing and there were other, uh, there were other demands. But I still... Uh, I still regularly spent a good proportion of time uh, either with couples, with Maureen, or with men myself. And, um, and the, only reason that, um, the, the only reason why that was able to continue was because we set up a team of trained people in the life of the church. And um, people who were gifted in God, uh, who loved people, who had gifts from God in helping people to come through the roadblocks in their lives and to be healed. Uh, from brokenness and to be able to to really be secure in God and to serve him in their lives uh, and that that was a joy um, I would meet with that team once a month so that they were not left as it were without support and without uh, a place of uh, of being prayed for uh, that team was superb and my concern is that many guys who are leading churches these days um, they are so busy with other things that this area of the life of the church of their churches can be neglected, not because they mean to, but because that's how it happens. Because they're on a roundabout, aren't we? We all are, aren't we, with, Absolutely. with busyness? Mm. So I think setting up teams in churches of people that you trust in God, who know God themselves, and who've got wisdom in terms of dealing with people, that's, I think, uh, very important. It's the body working. And there are many people in our churches who have got gifts to do this, but uh, we've got to spend the time uh, finding them out if we don't know them already and asking God to lead us to the people that he would have in such a team. I mean, obviously, as the programme draws to an end, we haven't got enough time to do it. You're going to have to come back for, for another, another session. <laughs> but obviously, we talked right at the beginning about the state of, the, of, of the, what we know as the church. Yeah. But of course, it's not where we are, mm -hmm. but it's where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think we're going? Sometimes, Blair, um, I am distressed. Uh, for example, when I look back and see what God was doing in many of the churches in Bournemouth in the 90s and the early 2000s, um, we seem to have regressed. Uh, uh, and uh, 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 that, uh, that saddens me. Uh, I, I don't see in, in many situations where there used to be the, um, the, the, the love for Jesus the desire to move on in the Spirit of God, the, the longing to see people come to Christ and grow in Christ. And, um, but I know, <laughs> I know that God loves Bournemouth, Christchurch and Poole as he loves the whole of the UK and the world. And I know that God has purposes of blessing for this place. You know, when God broke out in blessing back in 94, 95, 96, as I particularly remember it, that was unexpected. I remember for myself, I, I was desperate for more of God uh, at that point in time. And, and, and suddenly God came and, uh, and, uh, and people's lives were changed. Leaders were filled with the Spirit. They were, they were leading their churches in the way that they hadn't been because now they were really moving in God's Spirit and being directed by the Spirit uh, and the Word. And so uh, I know that God's going to do this again. It will not be the same. It will be utterly different. Uh, but I long for a greater spirit of expectation in the people of God, a greater seeking of God, after God. These days of prayer and fasting, you're laying aside time and you're seeking God. Uh, 
and for the church in our area to make the impact that God wants it to make in the lives of so many people who are lost and lonely and broken and don't know where to turn for hope, especially in these days, then it's for those of us who love Jesus to be seeking his face and saying, God, please, will you do the work that you need to do in us so that you can do the work you want to do through us? So in one sense, I guess it's a bit depressing. I think we can all say that is the case. But but actually, sometimes God lets us come to an end of ourselves, doesn't he? You know, let's just play out all the negative stuff. But actually, before we realize actually that Without him, there is no hope at all. None at all. None at all. And, you know, my mind goes back, Blair, to times when we used to have uh, leaders, church leaders gathering together, not just church leaders, church leaders and churches gathering together to seek God, to pray. And I, I know, thank God, church, there are groups of church leaders who are really seeking God and longing for more for God. Uh, I'd love to see that broaden out and to see believers from many different churches across our area coming together to pray. Now, here you are. You know, I mean, I think anybody listening to you today and anybody who reads your book will know that that you have a lifetime of experience. I know that you would be the first one to give glory to God, both you and Maureen. I know Maureen's not not so well uh, at at the moment, but God's not finished with you yet, David. No. Absolutely not. And that's something that Maureen and I have said to each other quite a lot recently, especially when she's been a bit weak, is this is not the end of the journey. And we're, we're looking to God for much more in our personal lives, in our own relationship with him, because it's where it starts. And we're looking for God for much more in, in the, the life of his church in this area. It's interesting because we both love the ministry of R.T. Kendall. Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, I was listening to his teaching last week, and he was saying that, uh, you know, that, that what's coming, we don't know when mm. or where, mm. Mm. he said, but people think maybe the second coming of Jesus mm. is mm. the next mm. coming, but it, it is not. No. It's not. Because actually, I often wondered, you know, because there is that outpouring where there's literally thousands yes. and thousands of people. Yes. And it's that. And I think we're quite, you're quite right, because I think that would be beyond anything that any of us have ever experienced. But of course, before that comes hearts crying out to God yeah. that he will heal our nation. That, Absolutely. Uh, so prayer yeah. and so on. It, it, yeah. Are you encouraged with the signs that you're seeing, with the, the ship, maybe, maybe a realization that actually we can't keep on going on like this? We need to do something. I'm beginning with, yes. with on our knees to God in prayer. Yes, absolutely. I, I hear I hear Christians saying that to one another, uh, you know, expressing the, the longing for God to do a new thing, uh, and I think it does. It, it does. It does mean coming together. I think I, I I love to see Christians from all different churches coming together and saying, "God, we love you. We need you. Uh, our town needs you. Our communities need you." Uh, and Lord, come on, please. And I suppose we ought to finish with him because uh, we're going to finish with in Christ alone. Yes. Wonderful hymn. But, you know, I think people find it hard to realize that Jesus has done it all, that <laughs> our best our best righteousness, uh-huh. our best religious bit, our best yes. religious is filthy rags, the yes. Bible says. Yes. But, of course, it also points to a Savior. That has been your life. Um, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And if you're listening this morning, uh, no one can come to the Father except through Jesus. Um, When you talk to God, if you talk to God, then talk to him through his Son, the Lord Jesus, because that's the only way that God has said that he will hear us 
And do that. Just just breathe the name of Jesus. That's a prayer in itself. Well, why don't you pray now? And maybe you listening to the program this morning, maybe you've never really put your trust in Jesus. Mm. Well, maybe, uh, David, if you could leave us in a prayer, maybe yeah. people could echo it. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. Yes, you love me in whatever condition I'm in today. And your word, the word of God says that you've always loved me. Lord Jesus, I come to you and I thank you for your love. And I thank you that you gave yourself for me on the cross so that I would be able to know God as my father, so that I would know forgiveness of sin, so that my life might be orientated towards the God who loves me and then lived out for him. So Jesus, I will trust you, trust you with my soul, guilty, lost, and helpless. You, Jesus, and only you can make me whole. Amen. Well, if you've prayed that prayer, then... then do tell somebody and and reach out uh, because obviously we all need support and find a really good church because mm. yeah. actually the, if there's one mess thing that comes across the church may be a bit beat up and bruised <laughs> at the moment but actually we so desperately need each other David don't we yes so absolutely and so finding finding a good church a church where there's a welcome a church yes. where it unashamedly preaches the yeah. The, the death and a magnificent resurrection of yes, Jesus. Absolutely. Uh, and uh, will you come back? Will you know come back again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to, Blair. Thank you. Yeah, I officially appoint you our, our pastoral, you know, uh, mentor. <laughs> <laughs> Hope, Hope FM. Hope FM. Faith-filled radio.